Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Back at it again. It's ATH, episode 111, and I am absolutely fired up. Let's get it. Yeah. Okay. Lil CC on a beat. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, where should I really even start? I got that I'm keeping in the dark. I got my across the street living large. Thinking back to the fact that they dead, thought my raps wasn't facts, so they sat with the bars. I got two phones, one need a charge. Yeah, they twins, I could tell they apart. I got big packs coming on the way. I got big stacks coming out to save. I got Lil Max with me, he the wave. It's a big gap between us and the game. In the next life, I'm trying to stay paid. When I die, I put my money in the grave. When I die, I put my money in the grave. I really gotta put a couple in a place. Really just lapped every in a race. I really Welcome back. It's your man's ATH back behind the mic. It's episode 111 for the love of the game. And as you can probably imagine, I am in a really good mood. A really good mood because I have four magical words for you. New York, we here. You're goddamn right. New York, we here. The New York Knicks. That's right. The New York Knicks are on a nine-game winning streak. You heard me correctly. A nine-game winning streak and are currently fourth place in the Eastern Conference. Unbelievable. Right now, does it matter that the Yankees are playing pretty bad baseball at the moment? Nope. Don't care. Do I care about the NFL draft this week right now? No, I most certainly do not. The Jets will take quarterback Zach Wilson, and the Giants will hopefully take either Devontae Smith or Jalen Waddle, whichever one is available. Great. Don't care. None of that matters right now because the New York Knickerbockers, a team that was seen by many, including myself, as a cast of misfit toys, a bunch of castoffs that nobody wanted, a team that their preseason over-under win total in Las Vegas was set at 22 and a half. This team is currently sporting a nine-game winning streak and are 34 and 27 at the time of recording. Again, fourth place in the Eastern Conference and would host a playoff series if the playoffs started today. I mean, we are in an alternate universe, I would say. But no, this is actually happening. I mean, where to begin? Oh, I know. Let's start with the coach, Tom Thibodeau, a hire that I was skeptical of before the season started. Well, he's taken a team that is not all that talented and has gotten this team to play hard every single night. He's gotten every inch, every inch of talent out of this team. Maxed out. They play hard every single night. They may not play well every night, but they fight and they scrap every single game. Remember, before this nine-game winning streak, they had a major cold stretch. Randall's shooting had gone cold. They lost a few really close games, some tough losses, dropped to two games under 500. And at that point, the season could have gone into the toilet. The feel-good story was running out. And you would have said, hey, you know, the Knicks have this culture. They're playing a, a good brand of basketball, but the team's just not talented enough. 
But this team doesn't have a glass jaw, unlike another New York professional sports team, the New York Yankees. And they continue to scratch and claw and fight and now have reeled off nine straight wins. This team is a bunch of rough riding, tough dudes. Randall, Derek Rose, RJ Barrett, Nerlens Noel, lunch pail, bring your hard hat to work type guys. The type of guys that New Yorkers love. We can't get enough of these types of players. Tibbs, who's the ultimate grinder, has a team in his image that mirrors his image to a T. A bunch of grinders. The Knicks, who were dreadful last year on defense, have given up the fewest points in the league and right now are second in defensive rating in the entire league. Unbelievable. What type of discipline Tibbs has installed in this team? Yeah, will his message wear thin maybe after four or five years? Sure, maybe. Do I care right now? Not one bit. Not one bit. Tibbs, in a year where there are a lot of good coaching candidates and a lot of coaches that have done a great job, should hands down be the coach of the year. I don't even think it's a question. Tibbs for coach of the year, no doubt, no doubt. No one else could have done to this team what Tibbs has done to the New York Knicks. No one else. As for the players, let's start with R.J. Barrett, who's made a huge leap in year two, on offense and on defense. He's shooting 39% from three this year, and he's almost automatic from the corners. But it's not just the three ball. The whole offensive game has matured. The pull-up jumper, not having better vision when he drives to the basket. He looks like the second coming of Paul Pierce. A major compliment. Major compliment. And boy, does he compete on the defensive end, too takes a challenge of guarding other guys' top wing players, and he's only 20 years old. He can't even buy a beer at the bodega. I'm absolutely giddy about what I've seen from R.J. Barrett. Emmanuel quickly may have been the steal of the draft. You know, one of the common knocks on Tibbs was he doesn't play rookies all that much. Well, Emmanuel quickly has been huge for the Knicks, huge for the Knicks as a rookie. Then there's Derrick Rose, who I was very skeptical of when they got him. Yeah, partially because I was scarred from his first stint as a New York Knicks. Partially because I thought he was going to take Quickly's minutes. Well, they actually play great together, as, as the numbers show. And I'd like to see more of them and less of Alfred Payton. But whatever. That's, that's kind of picking nits right now. The Knicks wouldn't be in this position without Derrick Rose. And you saw it in that losing streak when Rose was out uh, with COVID protocols. And I think he actually had coronavirus. The Knicks look lethargic, but Rose has given them a monster boost off the bench. Nerlens Noel, who's been a defensive anchor for them as a rim protector, a great signing by the front office. And Taj Gibson, who may be like 48 years old, has been awesome for them as an insurance big with Mitchell Robinson out. Reggie Bullock, been cast aside by a few teams. He's been the three and D player the Knicks need. That was a monster shot he hit against New Orleans a couple of Sundays ago. Unbelievable. And Alec Burks, another cast off. He's been huge for them. The offensive end off the bench. He's played solid on the defensive end. Both those guys are shooting about 41% from through this year. Have there been a few too many Burks at point guard moments and big spots for my taste? Maybe. But it can't be understated how nice he's played for them 
and hopefully he gets back in the mix soon. Just unbelievable. Unbelievable what this team has accomplished. And then there's the engine. Julius Randle, who's been a revelation this year. I'm on record. I was a major skeptic. I'm still a little bit of a skeptic. I hope he doesn't turn into Pascal Siakam, who was awesome at the beginning of last year and then kind of turned back into an average guy at best this year. I hope that doesn't happen to Randall, but it's hard to argue what he's done this year. In his seventh year in the league, Randall has turned from an empty calorie stats guy, a black hole on offense, an indifferent defensive player, to an all-NBA type player. Insane. Just insane. I really can't think of another player who's evolved in his seventh year the way Randall has evolved. Think about this for a second. Randall this year, at the moment, is averaging 24 points a game, 10.5 rebounds a game, and six assists a night. The other power forwards or guys who have played the four that have gone for 24, 10, and 5 in a season are Kevin Garnett, Charles Barkley, Elgin Baylor and Larry Bird. Larry Bird, by the way, averaged 24 and six for his entire career, which is just absurd. Absurd. Oh, and Julius Randle is shooting 41% from three this year, up from 27% last year. But that's not even the biggest jump. It's the playmaking that's made the biggest difference. As I mentioned before, he was a black hole last year. And this year, he's been, except for a few black hole moments, and again, now it's picking. The tiniest of nits, he's been unbelievable in finding open guys from when he gets double teamed. I hated watching him last year. And now that he's in the all-NBA conversation and the MVP conversation, like what planet am I on? This is crazy. Will it last? I don't know. But right now, I can't get enough. This team, if they stay in the 4-5 or five line in terms of seedings, they will win a first-round playoff series. I'm not scared of those frauds from Boston, Atlanta, Charlotte. I'm not scared of any of those guys. Miami's a tough matchup for the Knicks, but they haven't looked all that good so far. We'll touch on them a little bit later. But yeah, in the year 2021, I believe that the Knicks will be a second-round playoff team. Absolutely crazy. Oh, and if they get there, I hope they draw the Nets in round two. Yes, I would rather play the Nets than the Milwaukee Bucks or Philadelphia because that series is going to be a street war, a bar fight type series. And I don't think those pansies in Brooklyn want that kind of smoke. Durant, he ain't scared, but Kyrie, Kyrie's a nutcase. And I know James Harden doesn't want that kind of smoke. That series would be a West Side Story type street fight, and I need it. I need it. This team has me thinking certain thoughts. And I probably need to take a cold shower right now. But I don't care. And neither does the city of New York. Manhattan these days is a happier place. When the Knicks are good, the city has a buzz to it. The Knicks are the only team that can give this city a buzz that they do when they're good. And this season has proven that they will that this town will always be a Knicks town. And for those outside of New York, you will never truly understand the relationship 
that New York has with the New York Knicks. And if the Knicks ever win another championship in my lifetime, or I should say a championship in my lifetime, because considering they haven't won since 1973, New York City will experience the greatest block party the city has ever been. And it will be all love. You'll hear Notorious B.I.G. on the speakers. You'll hear Jay-Z. People will be drinking 40s on the stoop on every corner in Manhattan and the Bronx. And even in Brooklyn, there will be uh, some medicinal, or I should say legalized uh, contraband uh, going on. But that's, it'll be all love. All love if the Knicks ever won a title. For better, for worse, for thick and thin, the Knicks have a place in New York's heart like no other team. So New York, that's right. We're here. So before I start to cry and get into tonight's second segment, I have one last thing to say. Nick's fucking tape. Let's roll. Yeah, I am fired up. I'm absolutely fired up. I, I haven't been this fired up in who knows how long with this team. And with that said, it's time to bring on a couple of guests to talk about the Knicks and the Eastern Conference in just a matter of moments. All right. So I'm not sure if you're aware of this, as I mentioned before, but I'm going to reiterate it again. The New York Knicks are on a nine-game winning streak. Nine-game winning streak. So I had to bring on fellow Knicks crazed fan like myself, Mr. Johnny Nolmoon. I saw him over the weekend. He's fresh off a personal record and a Peloton ride today, so he's feeling good. Johnny, what a day, man. The Knicks. What a day. What a day to do the podcast, hopefully go for 10. And the disclaimer is my Peloton, it's not one of those juice Pelotons. I have so many friends with these Pelotons that I swear it's cheating for them, giving them fake out, um, output points. I have the real Peloton, and then I got a career high today, and I'm juiced for this podcast today. There you go. There you go. So let's start off right now. The Knicks have won nine in a row. They're going for 10 tonight. So on the happy scale, uh, one to 10, where are you at? Like... 50 is that an option this is this is insane like we discussed it when we for, on my first podcast and we we're like oh like tips he overplays his players randall like how far could he go with this at all-star break we're like there's got to be a crash coming soon we both agreed i think half every, everyone in the world would agree this can't sustain itself not only has it sustained itself since the all-star break it, it's been better than we're the, the freaking four seed on a nine-game winning streak right now this is insane the, the happiness scale has completely crashed yeah. Um, we, we have reached levels that uh, we haven't reached in a long, long time, probably since 1999 at this point, given what the expectations were and where they are right now. And you mentioned about that crash. I mean, as I mentioned in the monologue, like they did have that little crash, right, where they were they lost a couple of games. They lost that tough one to Boston. They had a bad loss in Minnesota. They lost a couple of close games. And you thought that that was maybe going to be, you know, the the. The fun story, it was nice. You know, you built something, but like, you know, it, it just wasn't meant to be. And then all of a sudden, we're here. Crazy. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's amazing. It's a, it's a really resilient team. It, it's a deep team because we've had injuries and and, and the whole, whole nine yards there. And we're still one of the – it looks like we're in the best benches of the league. And, and we came back off a few losses, as you mentioned, and we, we have – look better than ever coming on the most important part of the year coming up. 
I mean, they have they have a tough jaw. Like they don't have a glass jaw. This team just is a bunch of fighters, man. They're a bunch of brawlers, and I can't get enough of it. Uh, obviously, you know, Tibbs gets all the credit and and should be, you know, the front runner for coach of the year. But mm-hmm. we got to start with with the engine, uh, Julius Randle, right? Uh, is he a lock to win most improved player? I mean, it, he, he's in the all NBA conversation. Like, I can't believe I just typed this all out because I was a skeptic before the season started. I, I'm like at a loss for words. I mean, what else can you say about Randall? Yeah, he, he's definitely a lock for most improved player. I think if you look at the odds in Vegas, like it's, it's over. Um, he's definitely got this. All NBA. I mean, I haven't like written mine out yet, but I would imagine him at two or three. Like, this is amazing. Like, he is the the what we discussed on the first pod was like his passing, but now it's at a point where it's not only his passing. It's like that he took a new level where like it's a LeBron like court awareness when you're getting double teamed. Like, where who do you pass it to? Like, what's the next move? Like. Freaking like Joel and B took him like a bunch of years to figure it out. And I, I would say only like this year slash last year, like he finally figured that out. Like, like, like the dude wasn't getting double teamed last year. Now he's getting double teamed on every one of his turns. And he's found out not only a way to pass through, but also score through double teaming with those fadeaway mid-range shots from the corner, where you're like, what are you? Bang goes in. Like, this is incredible. I've never seen anything like it from him. I, I've never in my years watching basketball, I've never come across a player to make such a startling jump in year seven where all of a sudden it's like he's in the conversation for second team all NBA. Right. I mean, besides for Giannis and Kawhi, how many forwards have had a better year than him this year? Yeah. How many? I I can't think of one off the top of my head right now. and that's startling considering what we watched last year. Yeah. Crazy. Craziness. I, I, I just – it's unbelievable. But, it, but it's not just him. I mean, it's really – this team is like – it's a complete team effort. I mean, R.J. Barrett in year two. I mean, I don't know – where were you after year one with R.J. Barrett? Because obviously the jump from year one to year two has been also unbelievable. I thought he had potential. Not, I, I didn't think he had the level of potential that I think now. I think I, I, I just like his his game kind of looks kind of raw, kind of high schoolish. Um, he didn't have so many moves, and his jumper, like from a pure like, I'm watching the next, and we need three points. And I know like Bur- Burks and maybe some other guys should be getting three, like the catch and shoot three when we need a three, like. He's. I'm like. I want him to have the ball. I want. To, I feel like when he squares, when he squares to the basket, he's gonna make that three every time. Last year, it was. I was like, he's gonna miss every time. His drive looks great, and like he's doing it. Tough defenders also. Like we watched Boston the other week, and like Marcus Smart up in him, and he's like finding ways to score. So this is an incredible jump in his second year. Yeah, the catch and shoot three point numbers are are through the roof. I mean, he's not taking that many off the dribble, and that's fine. I mean, the the pull-up in the mid-range looks better, and in the playoffs, that's going to be a huge tool because we all know that teams who uh, just shoot layups and three-pointers, that doesn't translate in the playoffs. You have to be able to score from all three levels, and he's proven that. I, his his uh, court vision 
passing out of those drives where last year, you know, there was a major tunnel vision when he was driving left. Now I, I think he notices guys a little bit better. Uh, it's an unbelievable, an unbelievable jump. And the fact that he's probably going to be on the ballot for most improved player too this year is also just a huge testament to Tibbs. Yeah. And his, his defense like looks better almost every night and he's going to, he's going to be a really, really good defender because he's super long and he can move his feet. I, I noticed it when the Clippers came to the garden, it was earlier in the year. Uh, before all this, you know, before the crazy hot streak and the way he went after Kawhi Leonard on both ends. And I was just like, all right, like this, this is really something now because, you know, Kawhi put him in the torture chamber in the post a couple of times because, you know, he's Kawhi Leonard. Right. I mean, what, right. what else are you going to do? But like it was just the, com- the the level of competitiveness on the defensive end. I was like, we got something here. And then the three point shot on the catch and shoot threes from the corner, them being almost automatic is just crazy. And and my favorite part about him is when he has a bad first half, it doesn't bother him. It doesn't bother him. And he's not afraid to come out in the second half and, and still be aggressive. It's crazy. I mean, Emmanuel quickly is going to be all rookie team. Um, Tibbs should be coach of the year, Uh, but I mean, I think the most important thing and, you know, besides for Randall is, was the Derrick Rose acquisition. Yeah. I was so, I've been a skeptic for Rose. Skeptic, right? Yeah. I mean, I, and I was right. And, and I mean, now I'm wrong, but he was, I was just like, he always just seemed short on his jumpers. He, he uses the ball a lot. And I just like, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't like the way he played and. Now he comes in, he plays great D, hit shots, gets the his drive is insane. Like I'm just like this dude could create his play against the Pelicans where um they he baited Lonzo into that into helping and then throwing it out to Bullock was just incredible. And that's like the veteran leadership we need on such a, a young team and and he's been great. But back to Tibbs on um on coach of the year. Like, I think the NBA is going to give it to Monty or Quinn Snyder just because that's how the majority is thinking right now. But, like, when you think of the West, and I know the Suns, like, super impressive. Utah, too. Like, they've made a lot of jumps in their team. The West has kind of been beaten down a lot this year. Like, and everyone expected Utah to be top 18, Phoenix top 18. They didn't know where they would um, land in that top 18, top 18, and they had incredible years. And I don't want to discredit them. But the Knicks were supposed to be the worst team in the NBA. Twenty-two are, and a half wins in Vegas. They are the fourth the projection. Best, they are the fourth best team, best team in a loaded Eastern Conference, where you're talking ahead of the final, the 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 finals, the final, the finalists from last year, Miami Heat. You're talking the Boston Celtics. You're talking the improved Atlanta Hawks. This this team is balling, and Tibbs deserves Coach of the Year. I'm so adamant about it because he's taken he's taken this team who was supposed to be the worst team in the league and it's not like they in the middle of the season got anyone crazy they got rose fantastic signing as we just said but it's not like we got a superstar and he took what he had and he made them into gold it, look at the roster difference between utah and phoenix and the knicks all right they have way more talent than the knicks utah and the three all stars yeah 
the Knicks are playing so far above their heads. How can Tibbs not be coach of the year? Yeah, yeah. It's crazy to me. It's crazy to me. Um, and before, and we're going to talk about the rest of the Eastern Conference in a little bit. Uh, but I, I need to hear it from you because I've been shouting it for a while. Let, let's give Nerlens Noel some love real quick. All right. Yeah, does he does he block every shot at the rim or just every other shot? Like it's crazy. Ingram is the longest dude ever, and he comes up for a dunk, and Noel gets a hand, a, not even a piece of it. He blocked it down. Noel is an alley oop threat. Um, something I wish we had. Obviously, beggars. Uh, we can't. We can't be too picky. I wish we had like a shooting five on this team. Like like if we had Bobby Portis, who I think it was on our team last year, two years ago, shooting like forty percent from three this year, much improved. Like. I'd be interesting with Randall because end of the games they couldn't double team as much, but Noel has just yeah been amazing and like he's like filling that Mitchell what we expected of Mitchell Robinson really really well. It's, I mean, it's crazy. What what's happening right now is nuts. And if you've noticed that uh, Manhattan is a lot happier these days, all right? Yeah, yeah, city's back. The city is a lot happier. The Knicks are the talk of the town. The city has a vibe to it. It's got a pep in its step. No one gives a shit about the Nets. No one cares. It's just wonderful, right? Okay, so let's say the Knicks finish the season in the 4-5 line, right? Which it looks uh, increasingly like they will. How confident are you in winning a round one series? Because I got to say, I'm like supremely confident. Yeah, I'm I'm confident. I think, I think our one of the biggest things that the Knicks in the regular season is how hard they play. Is that like some teams don't come with that war mentality um, in a regular random regular season night, but the Knicks come out and do that every night. So like now you come into playoffs and everyone has that war mentality. So like you take you take a little bit away that advantage. But I'm I'm confident. I'm I'm just saying that's one hurdle that we'll we'll get through. But I'm. I'm very, very confident. I'm not scared of the Hawks. I know Trey Young had moments against the Knicks team. I'm not scared of the Hawks. Right. I'm not scared of the Celtics. Not scared of them one bit. I'm not scared of Charlotte. I'm not scared of Indiana. The one team that potentially could scare me is Miami, only because I've seen Jimmy Butler go for a 40 spot with a triple-double in the playoffs, in the finals last year, and be the best player on a court that had LeBron James and Anthony Davis. That makes me a little nervous, but we'll we'll get to Miami in a little bit because they yeah. haven't been super great. But I'm not nervous at all. I think if they stay in the 4-5 or five line, I think they – I'm eight out of ten confident that they're gonna win a first round playoff series. Yeah, and I I want the Haw I want the Hawks because I think the Celtics are a really there are they're a more physical team than than the Hawks and like our big advantage of the Hawks is that we'll rattle them with our physicality. We'll play them super tough. We'll pull, we'll knock Trey over a bunch of times, make him scared to drive to their I mean, old school New York New York basketball. Um. The Celtics, I don't, I don't want to seem smart on Audrey Barrett for set for, for for a bunch of games in a row. That would be tough for Barrett. Smart's a menace, especially in the playoffs. Um, I want the Hawks badly. Uh, I agree with you. The Heat also, they're a very good team. But I, whoever we play, I, I'm I'm confident. I think we'll take them. We're hot right now. Well, 
So I know I'll probably have to take a cold shower after all this because I'm uh, getting way too excited. But like dare to dream now, right? We're in the second round. There, there's a clear top three in the East. Of the three, which team would you want to see most and why? Um, out of Say Philly, it. Philly uh, Bucks, yeah. Um, what, what team do you want to see the most? I, I I I know you want me to say the Nets, but I think it's got to be Philly. Um, Why make the case? Because I think I think the other two teams scare the, the living crap out of me. That's A and B. I think Philly. We could we could do some. Int- it's hard to guard Embiid, but we could throw some double teams at him. Be a little create. Be a little creative. Danny Green is known to go cold, so maybe their shooters will go cold a little in the, in the playoffs. Um, they're a tough team, but out of I just they scare me less. The Nets healthy scare the living crap out of me, and the the Bucks are just balling right now, and they're they're a tough team. Well, the Bucks had a had a weird loss last night where Bogdan Bogdanovich went absolutely crazy in the fourth quarter. His revenge game. <laughs> yeah, it went went nuts, but. You know where I'm going with this. Of the three top teams in the East, I want to see the Nets the most. Now, I don't – I'm on record. I'm not sure the Knicks could win a series against any of these teams. But I want to see the Nets the most. Does Durant make me nervous? Yeah, but he's been extremely brittle. Kyrie Irving's a nutcase. And James Harden doesn't – doesn't want to scrap. He's not a brawler. This Nets team is not a bunch of brawlers, all right? And right. I think, yeah, do, do I think – and the Knicks would have nothing to lose, have absolutely nothing to lose. The Nets would be shit in their pants. And even if the Knicks didn't win, right, the Knicks would beat the crap out of the Nets physically. And I just – the Nets are the softest team of the three the softest team of the three and I would just I'd rather see them I want the Nets to finish one I want the Knicks to finish four and let's go let's go West Side Story type fight let's do this yeah I mean the the health the healthy Nets team is just is just too it's incredible I don't think anyone could stop them I was gonna say I, I, I as I say that like you know yesterday Kevin Durant just went for 30 points coming off the bench like it was really easy but that I don't care. I, I'm. I I think the the Knicks could just you know they've hung with the Nets when the Nets have had their dudes they've hung with them, and I, I would just I want to see it. I, I need it. I need that series. I, I as we, as we transition talking about the rest of the East, I just you know Philly VMB thing. I, he'll he'll put Nerlens Noel underneath the basket every single play. Yeah. That's a sure two points, and. I know the Knicks beat up on on Milwaukee early. They blew them out, like the third game of the year. But Milwaukee is coming together at the right time. I know last night they didn't play great. And and Giannis would just – Giannis would eat the Knicks alive, like really eat them alive. But not not just like getting buckets, but just like physically, just like just torture them. So, yeah, I'd rather the Nets. I'd rather the Nets. 
So that, that right. leads us to transitioning to the, um, the East as a whole, right? So we mentioned the guys at the top, you know, the Nets, Philly, Milwaukee. I wanted to talk about a couple of other teams. So there's a team that uh, is the second hottest team in the league. The Washington Wizards have won eight straight games. This was a team that I thought was going to finish in the top six in the Eastern Conference before the season started. It looks like they're getting uh, hot at the right time. Uh, what have you seen from the Wizards right now that, that gets you kind of excited about the Wizards? I mean, the, this shows that the playing game, sorry, Mark Cuban, it was genius. Because now you're having – the Wizards would never push hard for this if it wasn't for the playing game. It gives them a fighting chance, and now they give an entire fan base uh, – a it's something to root for and something to be excited about them coming potentially at the 10th and, and potentially sneaking into the playoffs, which would be wild considering where we saw them. Westbrook is just, uh, he's just acting like a winner. He's, he's proving a lot of people wrong. We're saying he destroys teams careers over all these different, all this different sentiment, but he's looked great. Beal's just been doing his thing all season, which shouldn't be discounted because he's, uh, leading the league in scoring, I think now. I mean, every no, game Steph scores. Well, Steph Curry yeah, Curry is, took, took oh, sorry, games. he scores thirty-seven every night. The guy Curry, I can't keep track of um, yeah. who's leading the NBA, um, who's leading the league in scoring. But it's it's amazing. I these two guys are an exciting backcourt. Everyone would love to see them in the playing game. It's going to be super exciting. Like, I'm sorry, Chicago. Like, you're, you're building something nice here, but. You, you bore me. You bore me compared to the Wizards. I want to see the Wizards in that playing game. I think the Wizards are going to finish top eight. Really? Wow. Yeah, I think I think that I think they're going to finish top eight. And you know, when you go, Westbrook has all his distractors. I, I get the reasons why. I understand. You know, people don't like his style of play. I understand that he was horrific to start the season. But if you go into a game with Westbrook and Beal, like you've got a puncher's chance. You've got a puncher's chance. And I just, you know, not that they're going to beat anybody in the, um, in the first round, but they're, they could scare somebody. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, no one wants to guard the energy of Westbrook, like having to box, like a point guard doesn't want to have to box out, box out Westbrook every time going for those offensive boards. No one wants to guard Beal. It's going to, like, it would it would annoy a team like the Sixers. I, it's interesting you see them going eight because, I mean, Charlotte, they, they've hung around without ball, and I think he's coming back this week. Yeah. So that'll be interesting. They're just playing good basketball. They beat the Celtics last night, uh, and yesterday. So, it's gonna be it'll be an inter- it's gonna be interesting. This playing game is awesome because now you have, tw- let's say, twelve teams from each conference going going for it. So you have 24, 20 to twenty two to twenty four teams going for it instead of n- before you had sixteen teams, sixteen, seventeen, right. eighteen teams. This just keeps the season a lot more uh, alive. Discharges tanking. This is great for the NBA. What What do you think of the Celtics right now? What do you make of them? Uh, I don't uh, Tatum is coming back. He's, he's playing a lot, lot better. I know Brown's been injured. I, I'm, I, I, we spoke about this. I spoke about this another. Kemba's just, he cannot hit a shot anymore. He doesn't scare me at all. And I think that's a huge loss that they don't really have that like big three on scoring. Bra- Brown's, Brown's really good, but they just like don't have that like hump. Like you know, they don't have that like 
they don't really have a big man. Um, I think when Fortier comes back, that's going to help them a little to get some more. He played yesterday against Charlotte. Oh, he's back. back. He'll get back in the mix. It's just something just seems off. I think I I saw Bill Simmons tweet about it. I I think he said that the, the Celtics have like trailed at one point by over double digits in like 45 games this year or something like that. I mean, maybe he was being sarcastic, but it just seems that there's something off. And Kemba's had a couple of good games, like that game against Golden State. He had a great game. Um, But I I don't know. It's just, it's a weird team to me. And and the Tatum season's been, you know, weird as well. Obviously he had the whole COVID thing and, and that, you know, he's using an inhaler that he hasn't been using before. But it's just – it seems like they just don't like playing with each other, honestly, when I've watched them. It seems like they don't like playing with each other at all, and that seems to be a problem. Um, yeah. We mentioned the Miami Heat, right? The Miami Heat are currently in the seventh spot. They, they've been up and down. They've had, you know, a really disjointed season, whether it was COVID, whether it was injuries. They've had a really disjointed season. How sleeperish to you are the Miami heat because a lot of people are saying that, you know, they, they should be sleepers, obviously given the, the run that they had and the, the seven seed, but at, at the same time, like Tyler hero seems to have taken a major step back. Duncan Robinson doesn't seem to have be having the impact he had last year. Um, where are you at with the heat? I think it's like, it's so interesting. Cause I don't know. Is it like, they just looked a lot more cohesive last year. Like, was it like, Crowder, I, I, like he's a very good player. They've but missed I, him. They've missed yeah, him a lot, though. He balanced def- them out. Right, he's definitely a glue guy. I think the the point, I, my overwhelming point about the Heat is that Jimmy Butler last year in the finals looked like, oh my god, he's like a top ten player in the NBA again. Like people were really down on him before last season, saying like, eh, he's he's tried Minnesota, hasn't worked, and like this is just not. He tried Philly and hasn't worked. Like this is just not really going to work again. Um, and he came out and he was dominating NBA Finals games against the Lakers, who were the best defense in the, in the playoffs last year by far. Um, and they were and they were they were locking down people. And Butler couldn't couldn't be stopped, like physically bodying LeBron. So he's been good this year. Don't get me wrong, but he needs to get on that level again. Which was that like a fluke last year? Um, that he was on that level. I don't know. I'm a little like confused about where he, where he is as a player. Like if he's one of the best players in the league again, then I'm like, okay, the heat could win the East. Um, I was really high on the heat going to the season. So, so was this, I. this so just was doesn't, I. it doesn't make, but like you kind of agree with me, Butler has to get on, on that, on that level that he was at last year. It's funny you say that because he's missed a lot of time this year. Yeah, definitely. And if you look at the splits in terms of when he plays, the Heat generally win. When he doesn't play, they generally lose. And it's that to me is, is their record with Butler is, is the one thing that is keeping me, you know, still in on the Miami Heat. You know, because, you know, right. obviously Spolstra is one of the best coaches in the league. Like they have that infrastructure, they have that thing going. I, you know, Bam Adebayo's had an up and down year as well, but his offensive game has taken a, you know, a step up. I think he struggled a little bit defensively this year because, you know, he's playing predominantly five. And I, I think 
You know, the loss of Crowder has really hurt them, though, uh, especially on the defensive end. He's just a bigger body than Trevor Ariza is. And Trevor Ariza is like 85 years old at this point. They've missed <laughs> they've missed uh, Jay Crowder a lot. And the fact that they didn't really solidify that spot gives me pause. But when Butler and Bam play, they, they, they're very good. And that's why I want them to stay out of the 4-5 uh, the line with the Knicks. Uh, yeah, 100%. The, the Milwaukee Bucks. The Milwaukee Bucks. I know they had the loss last night. I know they're still hovering around. They're still in striking distance of the one seed, though. This team obviously has had, you know, the big regular seasons last couple of seasons, but have flamed out the playoffs a little bit. I should say really last year was a major flame out. The year before it wasn't really a flame out, I would say. How confident are you in the Bucs being able to get to the conference finals and maybe the finals this year? Yeah, right now it looks like they're going to play the Nets in, in the 2-3, um, which I've said it about the Nets. If they're healthy, it's just even though the, the Bucs are fantastic defenders, they have, they have Holiday, they have Giannis, they have Middleton, they have Tucker, they have Brook Lopez. They're, they're, they're going to – they're a physical team. But that offense of the Nets, with when them three are playing, it's just insane. It's smooth because of Harden. If uh, I know people question chemistry, they've only played like eight games together. But with Harden running everything, it just it just looks yeah, indefinitely. I know, I know, but yeah. So you're but, not so you're not worried about the Nets' chemistry issues at all. I'm not if, – if them three are playing, I'm not worried about the chemistry issues. If it's Kyrie and Durant, I am a little, but they're straight hoopers. I mean, it, I am worried about them, all three of them being healthy. I mean, I'm not worried. I hope it happens that all three of them are not healthy. So we have an easier – the Knicks have an easier path to championship. But I'm, I'm not too worried. I think these teams are just hoopers. And Harden – I remember that Saturday night game, the first game that Harden played. He just came in and – it looks like him and Durant have been playing forever. I know they played together in OKC, but like he just is a special player like that. And I, I think I, I really like the Bucs. I like what they've been doing. But now we're talking about a super, a super team. And when a super team gets put together, it's they're the best stuff. If them three are playing together, they might be the best offensive team of all time. And it seems unfair because hey, oh, they didn't, they don't have, they don't have the offensive Warriors had, and they don't, they, they not do the regular season together. But this is an all-star team, so. So you, so you're, so if I said, you know, so you're taking the Nets versus the field in the East, hands down. If if healthy, I, I just can't see them because they also have a great ben, like bench slash role player like Jeff Green. I feel like he's he's a highlight, a human highlight reel this year, which is crazy considering how old I, I thought he was. Um, and now so he's I, sucked in so many other places. Yeah. Um, Blake looks good again. Everyone seems like they're all, all of a sudden um, drinking coffee again or something. They're just like rejuvenated on the, on this Nets because maybe they think they win the championship. Um, and then they have a lot of options that big. They have um, they can go small. They can get uh, Carroll or, or DeAndre Jordan to get in there and like foul and, and beat or just like stay in front of Giannis. So uh, if they're healthy, I just I can't see it happening. I'm, I hope I'm wrong because I hate them so much, but. I'm just giving – that's just my perspective. I know Philly's lost a couple of games. Uh, yeah. You know, Ben Simmons hasn't played. Tobias Harris is making his way back. 
But Ryan Ryan Rosillo said something. Was it Rosillo? I forget who it was, but said something super interesting um, about no, it was Kevin O'Connor in the Ringer. Uh, how Matisse Thibel, if you watched him like D up guys, I, he's he's a problem, right? And when Simmons comes back, he's a problem. And those two guys would, I mean, if you watched Thibel play against Devin Booker, right? You Devin Booker is a pretty good offensive player. Uh, he, he was locking those dudes up. And I think Philly matches up really, really well, really well with Brooklyn over a seven game series. Yeah. And, and sort of the, the Bucks also do the, they Bucks do too, problem. which is why, guys to guard why if he told me that right now I would take the field. Right. That, but that's what's uh, playoff basketball. It's just, I don't know. I'm in the opinion of basketball right now that it's just, it's just better offense. Like, you had some really good teams guarding the Warriors and like some teams are like, oh, you put him on Steph, him on Clay, him on Draymond, him on KD, and you're, and you're good to go. You got the matchups, but better offense just. But that works. Warriors team, but that Warriors team yeah. was able to ratchet it up defensively when they wanted to. Oh, 100%. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure Brooklyn's able to do that, even though they seem to all, you know, Durant's a, a terrific defensive player. Um, yeah. Harden yeah. is. Could be slightly below average when he tries. Kyrie can be same when he tries, but I don't know. I I I don't think you can go into. And you saw it with the Heat that first year. I, I don't think you can just go in and, and roll right and expect to just roll and and win the title the entire you know first right, year, I, first year in. I hope so because that. The pure bas I'm a I'm usually a pure basketball person, and that's my like my my instinct has been is like that sh- it shouldn't work. They don't play they can't play defense. They're not a physical team. They they don't play together. Like they have they've been injured all year. Like that shouldn't work to win a finals. That's like my pure basketball instinct telling me this. But then just those three the guys talent. I I I don't think. I personally don't think we're ever going to see if I'm right or wrong because I think one of them will be injured or not playing or something. So I, I don't think we'll ever see them three together. In this no, Milwaukee's doing some interesting things with Drew Holiday. Uh, I, I think they're rounding into form. And if you're looking to place like a, a bet, a little bit of a long shot bet, them to win the East is is really good odds. I think it's like four, it, it's, it's maybe like eight to one, nine to one, something like that. It's pretty good. But before I let you go, just think about these – first round playoff matchups for a second in theory you can have this right if you could have brooklyn against washington round one so you got the durant westbrook stuff you got beal you've got all that right let's go got miami and um miami and philly you've got milwaukee and boston and you've got Knicks Atlanta. It's pretty good. It's pretty the, good. The East is incredible these days. It's more exciting than the West. The West, you're just like, uh, it's got to be LeBron or, or maybe like the Clippers. The East is incredible. Where where did this come from? It is awesome. What if I told you that the East has three of the four most likely NBA champions. Oh, 100%. 100%. Would you agree? 
Yeah, yeah, because I, I think the top of the East is way better than the top of the West. Yeah, I mean, I could only see the Lakers coming from the West and doing this. We we've spoken about the Clippers before. We just both agree that they they have something weird going on with their chemistry and overall team. They just signed Cousins today, so I'm sure they'll add to them just being a, just not working out well together. But yeah, the top three in the East is tough, and then the back of the East with the Knicks, Hawks, Heat, and uh, and Celtics is is just insanely good. Like the the Celtics were supposed to be in the finals last year. The heat made the finals last year. Like these are really, really good teams. And uh, it just feels good. It deserves a little bit of respect. I know I'm going to do a podcast. I think next week about the Western conference, but it's time to put some respect on the Eastern conference's name. And most importantly, the New York Knicks are going for 10 straight tonight. I don't know if we mentioned that before, but it's time to mention it again. Jai, this was great, man. Hopefully, uh, we'll speak soon. And uh, Nick's tape, we here. Let's go. Ten in a row. Let's go. Ten in a row. Let's do it. Speak to you soon. Um, I'm pumped. So I said earlier that no one cares about the NFL draft in this city right now, considering the Knicks are on a nine-game winning streak. That still holds true, but I figured we should still talk about it just a little bit. So I had to bring back on a recurring guest. Special recurring guest I haven't spoken to in a while, uh, Mr. Shai Elberger, uh, my Giants extraordinaire to talk about what the Giants are going to do in the draft. Shai, what's good, buddy? What's going on? I certainly care about the NFL draft. Uh, I'm enjoying the Knicks as well, but I've been doing, uh, I've been in the draft prep mode for at least a month, so I'm ready for it to happen. So you're ready for the draft. All right, so Giants got the 11th pick. A lot of talk about pass rushers, a lot of talk about potential wide receivers, maybe some O-line. Where do you want them to go with this year's pick? Assuming they're going to stay uh, put. Uh, assuming they're going to stay put. Yeah. So, obviously, the odds would say they will stay put. Um, the thing that they, that they did well in free agency, aside from the players they got, are that – that they addressed the glaring hole for number one receiver and a glaring hole for number two cornerback outside of Bradbury. If either of those things did not happen, I would be much more zeroed in on either receiver or maybe cornerback with the first round pick. So now there's not really a pressing need for either of those two positions. Um, Having said that, where I, what I would be, I would really be okay with a number of different options. My, my gut and my heart tells me, and this is really just based on all the things I've read and heard, is that I would love for Jalen Waddell to be the pick uh, at 11. Um, and I, I just think he, he has a different element to his game in terms of speed and quickness and shiftiness that the Giants receivers don't have. Um, so I think he's really the guy I, I would like the most, but there's a lot of other players I would totally be okay with. So, okay, so we'll, we'll jump there, right? Because the two receivers that are going to be in range are the Alabama guys. You just mentioned Jalen Waddell and uh, Heisman Trophy winner Devonta Smith. Um, I personally would want them to go in either one of those directions. I would be happy with either one of those. Uh, just – Expand a little bit why you like Waddle over Smith, because Smith is also just a monster who I think is going to be a really, really good, good pro. Yeah, I've 
And, and again, as you know, I, I don't really watch college football. Uh, I, I did watch some of the championship game, but I know all about Smith's stats and tore up college and, and best receiver maybe in Alabama history if you go by the numbers. Um, I will say well, I was that, ahead uh, of him on the depth chart last year. Correct. So that, that's another thing is that if they had come out last year, or I guess going into the season, Waddle was actually higher ranked and then um, you know, fractured his ankle early in the season. But oh, another thing is, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Smith played four years at Alabama. And I feel like for a top receiver, that's pretty rare. So I do somewhat discount that, you know, he has the most touchdowns in Alabama history or whatever because he played four years, which I think is rare. But other than that, I really just fall into kind of the, the top question that everyone knows about, which is his size. I mean, his legs are so pencil thin. And I get that he didn't get injured at Alabama and he showed a lot of toughness and they used him as a gunner. So he has those you know, attributes. It just, when it comes down to it, I don't love drafting someone who will have to be an outlier in terms of their size to be, you know, a really good receiver. There just is not a, a, you know, a large group of players, really even a small group of players with his size that turned out to be really good. So can, can he be sure there, I mean, there's exceptions to every rule. I just don't love that it would have to be an outlier. And for Waddle, the NFL comparison that, you know, I know sometimes are a little foolish, but the one I've seen the most is Tyreek Hill. And you really think about it like Marvin Harrison, Hall of Famer, and he's a comp that I've seen for Devonta Smith and Tyreek Hill, who I guess at this point is not a Hall of Famer, but I guess it's a little TBD. But who would you rather actually have on your team? And for the Giants, I just think with Galladay already there and Shepard and just like what offenses are today, just the, the, the ability for a player to just, you know, go the distance and make people miss and have that kind of freakish speed and athleticism to me is just a more valuable asset to uh, put in to this specific Giants lineup. Like if they had Beckham or some other, you know, if they had Tyreek Hill, then maybe I would lean more towards Smith. But I just think they're really lacking still, even with Galladay, that big game, big, uh, you know, playability. And that's why I lean Waddle. Waddle's only 5'10", though. So it's not like his only five ten. Yeah, but it's 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 the weight. It's um, I don't know. It, it just, you know, Smith is, is the more rounded, maybe better route runner, better hands. But there's just something about guys who make people miss and you know, can take a wide receiver screen 80 yards. Uh, I just think it's really important and um, to have these days, and the Giants just don't have that, even with Galladay. But, I, I, you know, I, I would not be upset if they drafted Smith. I would totally understand it. Uh, the Giants have a history of taking pass rushers in the first round. Um, there's uh, – it seems to me, and again, I, I've done less draft prep than you have, that, that pass rushers and, and defensive players specifically aren't, like, as premium in terms of, of talent as they have been in years past. Are there any pass rushers to you, um, just given the Giants' tendencies and, and draft history, that you could see going at 11? 
that are worthy of that selection? So that's really two different questions. I can see them going pass rusher at 11 based on the obvious need they have at, at edge rusher. And, you know, none of us knows how the Giants rate or grade these players. What I can go by is just, again, like reading as, uh, you know, as, as much content as I can, that there does not seem to be really that blue chip pass rusher. Obviously, none are going to go like top five or top 10. You would think if the Giants take one at 11, that he'll be the first pass rusher drafted. So they really would have their choice. It's just, are there any worth 11? Now, what I always struggle with is like, well, there's one that, you know, if they trade down, he, he's worth 15, but he's not worth 11. I, I don't It's kind of like, what's the difference if you take him at 11 or 15 is a really big difference. But from what I've seen, there's no, you know, blue chip pass rusher. They all have question marks. So on that note, given the need, even I would be a little disappointed if they took one at 11, just because I know it would be categorized as a reach and, you know, did they try to trade down? Did they take one of these guys over a Waddle or a Smith or a Slater or a cornerback? So that would be a little disappointing. I won't get too crazy just because they need pass rushers so badly. And um, I'll also never forget in the JPP draft, the 2010, again, as someone who like didn't watch him in college, I was very against drafting him just because I thought the narrative was, He's basically an athletic freak, but, you know, he played at this lower tier college. I was Florida something. I forget exactly where. Um, and then uh, you know, Central, Central Florida, Central, Central Florida. Florida. Yeah. So and they're drafting him really because his potential is so high. And I was like, ah, not worth like, you know, he did all these backflips on video. And I was obviously dead wrong in that assessment. He turned out to be a really good player. So I'll, I'll get it. I won't get too upset. Um, I, I do think that if they they want a pass rusher, I would hope they would try to trade down or you know just get address that need in round two or three. So I, I wouldn't want it, but I wouldn't be yeah. too upset. What about the offensive line? Because I I have honestly I'm tired of them drafting offensive line. I know their offensive line hasn't been great, but this team, or I should say, this general manager clearly doesn't know how to scout and great offensive linemen. So they've had so many early picks of offensive linemen. Like, why are we, why would we want to do this again? Yeah. So that's, that's a good point. And I think I'm with you from the standpoint of, listen, none of us, we all agree the giants offensive line as it stands now gives us zero confidence going into the season. It's we're putting our hope and faith that their projections of these players and ability for them to improve uh, happens and plays out. Um, we know uh, Panay Sewell will not be there at 11. Slater, Rashawn Slater, there's definitely a chance. So he would be the guy, I think. I think the other linemen, kind of like the edge rushers, would be a little reachy at 11. Uh, so maybe if they were to trade down, they would be uh, in consideration. For Slater, Here's where I'm conflicted. If the Giants project him that, you know, he could be a really good tackle or a really good guard, I would understand that if they're just going to slide him into a right guard or left guard and just day one starter, 
you know, he becomes Zach Martin, what Zach Martin is, was to the Cowboys. And, you know, I, I would be okay with that. What I'm a little against is if they really think he's like a bona fide tackle, then he's basically getting drafted to start at right tackle. And last year's third round pick, Matt Parrott, just immediately becomes no better than a backup, which may be what he ends up being, uh, you know, for his career. But I want him to have the opportunity to prove that all he is is a backup or uh, on the flip side, prove that he can be a good starter. So I don't love drafting players to immediately replace players who were just drafted last year. If he's going to play guard, Shane Lemieux was at least a fifth round pick last year. I have less of an issue with him becoming a backup, but you know, a high third round pick, I want, he should have the opportunity to start and prove himself if he's good or bad. So drafting Slater, if he's going to come in a tackle and just replace him, that I don't love, even if he is an upgrade, you know, in my opinion, to your point, like Gettleman, he doesn't get 10 cracks at building a competent offensive line using you know, a lot of free agency money and high draft picks, you know, that's not fair to the rest of the team. Eventually you or I could also spend 10 picks and, and, you know, get a competent offensive line. He has to show that the guys he's drafted already are competent and that's going to go, you know, whether or not he maintains his job. If Daniel Jones has a bad year because the offensive linemen he drafted are bad, you know, his excuse can't be, oh, Jones just needed an O-line. You drafted that O-line. You know, they're your responsibility. So I think they will address O-line in the first three rounds. I would prefer, I think, round two or three. And I have less of an issue with them drafting Slater if they think and project him to be, you know, a Pro Bowl, all-pro type guard moving inside the tackle. Then it's like, is the 11th pick worth a guard? You know, that's another question. So he's a guy, again, I'd be okay with it. I would understand it. Um, but you know, I think I still prefer a lot Jalen Waddle. There's a lot of talk about the quarterbacks in this draft. Um, personally, and again, I know uh, I'm no expert, but outside of Trevor Lawrence, none of them really scream to me great, right? Uh, like all of them. Yeah, I'm with they, you. Or they all have questions. Right. They all have questions. Now, if there was multiple QBs in this draft that were that had that, you know, can't miss tag to them, right? Or that you felt that were can't miss. Given where the Giants are with Daniel Jones, would you be okay with the Giants trading up to get a quarterback? So is the question, would I be okay with it? Or do I think that there's a chance they would do it? Because the second question is 0% chance, no matter, I think, if there were three Trevor Lawrences in this draft and the Giants of the third pick. I just, there's just no way I can see Gettleman moving on from Daniel Jones after two years, considering he was, you know, kind of the crazy pick he made. Uh, would I be okay with it? I would rather not as well, considering we just spent the sixth pick on a quarterback and you know how many can't miss quote unquote can't miss prospects are there that miss you know trevor lawrence also could in theory miss 
Um, it, it's just, you know, there. It, it, at, at best, you're looking at like, you know, a, a 60, 40, maybe a 70, 30 chance that this guy is actually what you think he's going to be. So I, I would not be in favor given the Giants current quarterback situation. And I'm not saying that because I think Daniel Jones is like destined to be a pro bowler. I just would not be in favor of, of you again, kind of like the O-line thing. Like we just used a six pick two years ago. Now we're going to use an 11th pick plus whatever other assets to give up. Uh, and I, I understand quarterback is the most important position. I just, again, it would be another point back to the O-line. Like Gettleman chose this quarterback. He doesn't get another chance to like get another quarterback, uh, you know, and, and make this one worth, worth zero. So I don't know. I, would not want I don't know that. if I thought that there was another guy in this draft that was going to be like Peyton Manning, then I'd a hundred percent do it. I, I I don't care what Daniel Jones. Is. I don't care that that uh, that what's his name that Gettleman made the pick. Like if I was like dead set that this guy is going to be great, then I would do it. Well, the wouldn't Kyle there be Murray, so Josh many Rosen other teams? Thing. What? Wouldn't there be so many other teams trying to you know move up as well? Well, I mean, the Giants have, you know, it's not like they don't have picks if they wanted to move up. Like, they have good draft capital if they wanted to do so. I mean, I don't think this draft is worth doing that. But in theory, if if it was, I, I'd be okay with it. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I, it would be, I would be, A, completely shocked because I think it'd be 0% chance. And I think I would be a little... Because, I mean, you're really just starting from, from day one. Yeah, you think this guy's going to be amazing. But, you know, Peyton Manning went one. Ryan Leaf went two. Andrew Luck went one. You know, RG3 went two. Happens, uh, you know, Trubisky just went second. Uh, um, Sam Darnold just went third. So, um, you know, Rosen, it just, it ha- what if Baker Mayfield went first? Would you be happy with him? Him over Daniel Jones? Would that be a big improvement? So, I don't know. I think... If the Giants were really like lacking a quarterback, then it would make a lot more sense. Um, I still think it would pay to try to see if Daniel Jones is your guy. Well, if that's the case, then um, I definitely believe that the, the pick has to be Smith or Waddle if both of them are there. It has to be. Well, they uh, they could easily feel that they've uh, surrounded him with a lot of talent on receiver, running back, tight end. And the real lacking part of the offense is still O-line. So uh, that's back to, you know, if they think Rashawn Slater is going to be an all-pro guard, then I guess you take him. All right, last thing before we uh, we get your uh, prediction for who they're going to take. Uh, we both don't enjoy Dave Gettleman's time in New York so far. Uh, his quote about him looking to trade down, and he's never traded down in his life uh, when he's been a general manager. Your thoughts on that quote? So, yes, I, I when I watch his press conferences, I'm like cringing the whole time. But I, I think there's there's two truths. So in his mind, he is you know he might be telling the truth to us that he's wanted to trade down. He is asked teams you know he's he's made offers. Um, the one I guess that would be, you know, no way to know really is like he said he's had trades in place and then the player the other team wanted was picked right before. 
all these excuses, you know, I'm not going to get fleeced, let other GMs get fleeced. So in his mind, you know, he's giving his, his truth. But if you look at it from a macro view, does he mean to say he's the only GM in NFL history that's never been offered a fair draft trade? Everyone else gets fleeced and he's the only one people are just offering him horrible trades. I don't believe that whatsoever. Maybe I think what he needs to trade down might be he's just valuing that way more than what other GMs value it. Because in his mind, he's like, oh, I have this prospect I love. If I trade down, I'm not going to get him. So you need to like pay me on top of that for what I'm going to be missing out at. Whereas other GMs have a list of, you know, five guys that they like. They realize no one's good at drafting really overall. So just get more picks. You get more draft picks. You have a higher shot at getting, you know, more players out of the draft. He can't be the only GM that's never been offered a fair trade down, you know, in round six. It's impossible. So I don't buy that at all. I think he's fundamentally opposed to trading down and like risking a player that he's targeting, which in round four, five, and six is an absurd concept. So, well, what, um, what, what do you what do you think about that theory in the top two rounds? So I, I, I mean, you obviously need more to trade down in, in round one and two. I, I think he gets hooked on like specific players, which I get all GMs do, I guess that's, that's not uncommon, but I don't know. He, he, he thinks he must be like a better drafter than average. And thus, you know, he wants these guys, the, the fact that like a team would ever trade up in like the round five to get a running back to me is so dumb because it's just, there's just overwhelming data on how such a bad and stupid move that is in the first two rounds. Like, yeah, let's say they get to 11 and Smith Waddle. Um, I guess if both are available, maybe Slater's not Smith Waddle, a cornerback or two. And like those other guards and all the edge rushers are all available and you kind of have them grouped similarly of course it makes sense to trade from 11 to say 15 with new England and pick up a third round pick or a second round pick or something like that. The more picks you have, especially higher and really lower also, that's all you're getting for it. There's a reason Bill Belichick ends up with every draft having like 13 picks because he's, he's not an idiot. He knows that no one is, no one's going to outdraft the rest of the NFL. So the way to succeed in the draft is coming away with the, with 13 picks instead of six picks. Well, yeah, except for the fact that he can't draft the skill position players and misses every single year. That's true. Belichick. So that's even a perfect, like the players he drafts actually might be below the league average in terms of how they do. And he makes up for that by having 13 picks every draft. So he's guaranteed, you know, he may end up with no, you know, superstars, but that's a great way to build depth. Great way to have good special teams. You know, the, obviously, you know, Patriots did a lot right for 20 years, aside from just having Brady. And, you know, the smart GM, Seattle, I guess Seattle's actually a really bad example. I think they have like three picks this year. But Pittsburgh or uh, Indianapolis, they're always trading down in the middle rounds and getting more picks. And that, I think, it makes so much sense. So that's, that's just crazy. Not just that Gettleman's never traded up in round one or traded down. But in any round, in any draft, that and that he's always getting fleeced, it makes no sense. I don't, so I don't buy that for a second. But I would be in favor of a round one trade down 
um, assuming that, you know, because I don't know who's good or not. I would want two second round picks or two third round picks or another first next year. Those are always valuable. It's going to be interesting. So, okay, putting it on the record, uh, who do you think they're going to take? So I was, uh, I was waiting to make this prediction because it's going to be, and this is, again, from things I'm reading in the recent days, it's going to be someone who actually has not been mentioned so far in this podcast. And my prediction will be, this is assuming, actually, I'll make two caveats. Assuming Devontae Smith is not there at 11, because I actually think he, he will be their pick if he is there. And assuming that Dallas takes Patrick Sertan, which I think is like every mock draft has that. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll go with an out there prediction. And I think they will draft cornerback J.C. Horn. Interesting. That, that's going to be the surprise pick at 11. Interesting. I, it seems they're very high on him and Sertan. And I know the first thought is like cornerback is so not in need at all with uh, Bradbury and a Dory Jackson. They just signed. And then all the safeties they have. Um, but a, we know from signing Bradbury and a Dory Jackson, that cornerback is an expensive position to fill in free agency. Bradbury has two years left on his deal. A Dory has three. You'd be drafting a rookie. Basically, if you assume he's going to be an elite cornerback to a five year inexpensive deal, we know cornerbacks play a lot. Having three cornerbacks is not like having, you know, three running backs. They're all going to play. And Patrick Graham, he utilizes, he wants to utilize a man-heavy scheme. And that is a way for him also to scheme up a pass rush. And, I mean, we all were tortured last year seeing them throw out Isaac Yadam and Ryan Lewis and all these other scrubs at second cornerback and third cornerback. That, yeah, we have a Dory Jackson. He's also missed 20 games the last two years. If either him or Bradbury got injured, you're back to stuck to playing those scrubs. So if they are on as high on, on Horn and Sertan as, as I think they are, I could definitely see that being a pick. And I wouldn't mind it either. Interesting. So interesting. Because I, I haven't, of the little bit that I've read on the draft, I, I haven't seen that anywhere. Yeah, J.C. Horn, you heard it here first then. You heard it here first. Love it. Uh, I'm just hoping that they, like, I know the, I, I have this gut feeling that they're going to take um, the linebacker out of Penn State, Parsons. I, I I would like that, and I don't think so. I think they will shy away. Due to his... I'll be just disappointed because I, I don't know. I want Smith or Waddle. Like, those guys have the potential to be awesome. Right. Like, awesome. And I know wide receivers, is, you know, is, is, is the sexy position. And, and, you, and if you look throughout, like, the, the second and third rounds of receivers, like, they produced really, really good ones, like DK Metcalf. Like yeah, A.J. Brown. Did, you know, Chase Claypool was a second round. Justin pick. Jefferson. Yeah, that, so that all factors in, you know, when they're weighing if Waddle or Smith are there. But there's, you know, a whole group of receivers they love in round two versus, you know, some pass rusher or Slater and they don't like the round two group. You know, that kind of factors into it. 
I, I don't yeah. think they're going to take Parsons because of his, I guess, character concerns, especially after the DeAndre Baker uh, situation. So I, I would actually be yeah. really surprised if they did that, although I would like him. The one thing I will say, and it never even occurred to me until I was reading an article in The Athletic last week of it was like the top 10 most likely picks based on what uh, he's hearing. And like number six was some defensive tackle out of Alabama. I swear, if we take a defensive tackle, I will. At 11? At 11. Like if Slater's gone and Waddle. If if McShay doesn't have it or Kuiper doesn't have it, then I'm not trusting the athletic. Listen. Sorry, they're, they're, yeah, I don't know what it's based on, but I would be furious if that happened. Yeah, that wouldn't be great. My official prediction is Devonta Smith. All right, there you go. There you go. All right, well, Shai, uh, I'd like to say that I'm on pins and needles for this draft uh, to come for the first two rounds, but, again, the New York Knicks are on a nine-game winning streak and are currently the fourth-place uh, team in the East. I'm not sure if you heard um, or were aware of that, so that has taken up way more of my – Emotional energy, uh, but it's good to catch up. I'm aware. You're aware. Knicks are the Knicks going to beat the Suns tonight? Uh Suns coming off, uh, you know, second game of a back-to-back. Knicks are at home and uh, and rested. Yeah, yeah, they're going to beat the Suns tonight. Let's go, Knicks! Wow, All the right. train keeps the train keeps rolling, baby. It's no stopping nice. this train. I'm looking forward to a round two matchup versus the Nets. Okay, so I talked about it in the monologue, and I need it. I, I, and I, I made the case that I'd rather play the Nets than either the Bucks or the Sixers. Uh, agreed. Even if, I, even if they have maybe a higher chance of losing, I just want that Nets series. I want that Nets series, and I don't think those, those pansies in <laughs> Brooklyn want, want a street fight. They don't want a street fight. They don't want to scrap. Our guys scrap. We we will we'll brawl if we have to. They don't want that smoke. All right. Uh, no, that'll be fun. Oh, nice. All good. All right, bud. I'll speak to you soon. Enjoy uh enjoy the trip out east and uh hopefully the Giants don't blow it. Hopefully not. No, they won't blow it. I believe in Judge. You believe in Judge. Nice. Good stuff. I'll speak to you soon. Thanks so much. Right. Okay. Bye. Thanks again to my recurring guests, Johnny Nolman, talking a little Knicks and a little Eastern Conference playoff preview. A lot to be excited about the Knicks. And then my other recurring guest, Mr. Shia Elberger, previewing the Giants draft strategy. That's episode 111 for the love of the game. Your boys hyped up. Take us out, Grizzlies. Rich, then I'm really being modest because the way I do my deals never treated like an artist want a house. You could DM my account. My DM six figures and I'm counting. Nine figures was the gold till I hit the east. They ain't living so bury mine with me. Ross got it. When I die, I put my money in a grave. I really gotta put a couple d- in a place. Really just lap every d- in a race. I really might tap realest d- on my face. Lil CC, let it slap with the bass. I used to save with a mask in a cave. Now I'm like, nah, love, I'm good, go away. Ain't about to die with no money I done gave you.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.